Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, a listener writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this, what is the eminence of God? Well, Panthea, we need to talk about what this is. But before we even get there, we need to talk about views that oppose the eminence of God. Pantheism and deism, they twist many people's view of how God relates to his creation. Pantheists believe that everything is God or is a part of God, making him equal with his creation and unable to act upon it. Deists hold that God is distinct from his creation, but do not deny that that God is different from his creation and acts and upholds it. Transcendence that God exists outside of space and time. Eminence is God is present within space and time. These are both attributes of God. God is both nearby and he is far away, according to Jeremiah 23, 23. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Isaiah 55, not, uh, yeah, 9 says. That is God's transcendence. In him, all things hold together, Colossians 1, 17. That is God's eminence. God's omnipresence is closely related to his eminence. Psalm 139, 1 through 10, describes it in beautiful detail. In the New Testament, God declares that, that he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17, 25 and 28. And so God guides, he governs, he provides for his creation, even though he is so far above it. Uh, the eminence of God is also supported in the story of the Bible as a whole. The very existence of God's word is written, formed, testifies to God's interest and in his action in the world. Israel's survival throughout biblical history and the incarnation of Jesus bears powerful witness that God is present and involved. He is literally, as Hebrews 1.3 says, sustaining all things by the word of his power. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So how do we experience the nearness of God? If we're to ask that question, you were to ask that question of several people, we'll likely get a number of different answers. Some of the answers might border on the sappy. Others would be more biblical and theological, theologically robust. But how many would say they experience the nearness of the Lord as they read his word? To take this a little bit further, how many of us would say that we sense that God is near when we are reading and meditating on the scripture? In systematic theology, we refer to the nearness of the Lord as his attribute of eminence, which tells us, among other things, that our creator is always near. He's always present in his creation, but is not identified with his creation, regardless of whether we feel he's close or not. The biblical teaching on divine eminence also tells us that God's promise to manifest his presence in special ways and at special times. 
And so under the old covenant, our maker manifested his presence in a unique way in Israel's tabernacle and temple. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, God revealed himself most clearly in Christ, who is the word of God made flesh, John 1, 1 through 18 tells us. And under every administration of the one covenant of grace, God's closeness is manifested when his people study the word of God. In other words, both Old Covenant believers and New Covenant believers have been able to count on His presence with us when we read Scripture, meditate on Scripture, and study Scripture. One of the biblical passages that tell us about this is Psalm 119, 145 through 152. Note particularly the contrast that the psalmist establishes in the conclusion of Psalm 119 in Psalm 119, 145 through 152. There the psalmist's enemies draw near to attack them as they're far from the law of God. However, the author is confident that God will rescue him as he notes the nearness of the Lord to him while praising the truth of our Creator's commandments in Psalm 119, 151. And there is a connection here between the writer's sense that God is near in the confidence that the author has in the truth of the Scriptures. That's because the Lord comes alongside his word, making it effectual for his purposes. Indeed, to have the word of God is to have God himself. For when scripture speaks, God speaks. And when we read the Bible, when we hear it preached and taught, we enjoy a personal encounter with the very God who made us. And he attends every word of scripture. For every word was given by him and embodies his truth and the truthfulness. And although we do not always feel that God is near us, we can be sure that he always draws close to his people. When they study his word, when they hear his word preached, the Holy Spirit attends the reading and the hearing of the word of God, instructing us, convicting us, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. We do not need to look for a special mountaintop experience to know that God is near, for he is always near to us. Well, theological controversy, we need to say, did not, did not end at the Council of Nicaea. In the following centuries, the church had to deal with errors regarding the humanity of Christ, the authority of Scripture, justification, and on and on and we go. And despite the various positions taken on these issues, most theologians still insisted on the transcendence of God. That all changed in the 19th century. Our Creator's transcendence is affirmed throughout all of Scripture and is reflected in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. And when we say that God is transcendent, we mean that He is separate from His creation and not dependent on the created order in any way. The Almighty made the universe and He is therefore sovereign over it because He is the only sovereign ruler of it. A biblical view of transcendence does not mean that God cannot enter into his creation or communicate with it. He's also eminent. He's present within the universe that he made. Creation is not God. That's pantheism. Nor does God depend upon it. Creation itself depends on the creator for its continual existence. Due to the philosopher Immanuel Kant's work in the 18th century, uh, 18th century, many thinkers began to question whether we could ever know anything about the transcendent realm. This was based on an unbiblical view of transcendence, one that says God is so wholly other that it is impossible for his creation to communicate with the Lord at all. 
In any case, these ideas trickled down into theology, and through a variety of alterations, they produced a new emphasis on eminence. However, the eminence promoted was also an unbiblical one, which said that God is so closely identified with his creation as to be virtually indistinguishable from it. The new focus on eminence is also known as eminentism, and it amounts to pantheism. The result for Christology was to remove any sense that Jesus was unique as the incarnation of God. If all is God, then God is all. And not only Jesus, at the best, the philosopher G.W.F. Hegel said, Jesus is a picture of what it means that humanists and deity are ultimately one. This humanization of God and the definition of man is antithetical to biblical orthodoxy. The eminentism we have discussed today is still with us today. The new, the new Age idea that we are all divine is a further alteration of the eminentistic thought and also draws upon Eastern religions. We must be on guard today against any view that would make God identical to his creation. For then he would be identified with the wickedness his creation has promulgated. To lose God's transcendence is to lose any hope that he will overcome the evil of this age. And this is why we must be grounded in the Word of God, as we often talk about on the theology segment, and in our studies of God's Word. We need to be studying and reading God's Word so that we can spot error and we can stand fast on the truth of Scripture. That is why we should always have an open Bible. We should be reading it. We should be studying it. We should be like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, who are commended by Paul for searching the Scriptures to see if these things were so, and then as the Thessalonians did in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, receiving the word with gladness and joy because you search the scriptures and the things that are being said align with what the word of God actually says and actually means. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.